Putting up to it's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. Hello, good afternoon everyone. Uh, welcome to another fun-filled edition of Planet Hollywood. Um, Paul Hutchin, unfortunately, can't be here today. No, he's not at a spa as he usually <laughs> usually is when you see me. Um, but he he is out actually doing some work. So I no. am going to be hosting today. Um, and joining me is Anna Burnside, who's the chief writer at the Daily Record, and Douglas Dickey, who's the content editor at Scottish Daily Express. Hello. Greetings. Hi, Anna. Hello. Um, so we've got actually quite a lot on the agenda to get through today. Just there seems to be an awful lot of things going on and it would just be good to to sort of get into them and unpack them a bit and just see what you guys think. So um, we'll just crack on. I think the first thing that I wanted to talk about was Boris Johnson obviously has been the, the star witness this, well, today and yesterday at the, the COVID inquiry. Um, the UK one and you know I think there's been a few interesting things that he said in terms of the the Scottish government and the the devolved administrations and you know the working with them or lack of working with them Um, one of the things that he was hinting at yesterday was about uh, well we, we weren't communicating with them because they were leaking things from the COBRA meetings now I don't know about you guys, but I can't really remember many of the leaks from devolved governments. It seemed to be mainly from Westminster, but I might be biased because I was working in Westminster at the time. But, you know, do you think that that's an excuse or do you think that really they just didn't particularly want to work with the devolved governments? I think it was an excuse. I think you nailed it there. I mean, when I was thinking about this, it's actually quite funny because it's the reverse of what you normally see from the SNP, isn't it? Mm. You know, who blame, you know, their their kind of default position on so many things is to blame Westminster. No, it's Westminster's fault. So actually, it's quite funny to see that turned on its head mm. and to see Westminster going, oh, well, it was Scotland's fault. You know, it was the, devol the devolved administration did it and ran away. Um, I, I was just snorting. I was just snorting all the way through uh, the things he said and the the lameness of his um, appearance at this uh, inquiry that he suggested mm -hmm. um, the fact that you know having suggested it known it was coming having had it in his diary he might have gone to the trouble of actually preparing and being ready to actually make even a half-hearted attempt to do a good job of appearing at it, but no, actually, he's done none of those things. Mm. Everything his appearance, he was what my mother, late mother, would have called an awful looking sight. And um, <laughs> general, you know, look at this. I mean, you know, it does not inspire confidence, does he? And mm. the just his general lackadaisical, lazy, you know, lame performance. Um, mm. was so um, unimpressive. I really think Lee Kane nailed it when he said that um, Johnson had exactly the wrong skill set to deal with this crisis. I mean, it's hard to think of anything, you know, that his skill set would work for. But I think this just reminded everybody watching him in action, 
just reminded everybody that his sniggery kind of naughty schoolboyish style mm. and defy you know this slightly defiant oh i i shook hands with everyone i'm sure you'll all be pleased to hear that that was a hundred percent the attitude we did not need during mm. a scary unfolding uncertain political situation which he mm. was so blatantly inadequate to deal with and i think mm. We knew that at the time, it was clear at the time, and I think with hindsight, it's absolutely crystal clear um, what a, a terrible job he did of the whole thing. Mm. Dougie, what do you make of, you know, his apologies that, that he kind of started off with and, of course, were briefed? Ironically, they were leaked uh, <laughs> the day before he was due to appear, but, you know, did you believe the, the apologies that he kind of put up at the well, start? I'm, or uh, I'm going to... Uh, I want to first of all and say I, I need to disagree slightly. Um, I think I think leak is the wrong word, uh, but I don't think anyone I, I, I don't think anyone can doubt that you know Nicola Sturgeon especially was guilty of rushing to the press to announce things that had been discussed in Cobra meetings. I mean, it's not just Boris who's brought this up. Um, you know, other government ministers have as well. Uh, leak, you know, I don't know, but. It, it, it's quite clear that um, the leader of at least one devolved administration was really keen to get ahead of of the narrative from these Cobra meetings. So mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think um, anyone at the time could see, you know, that she was determined to to kind of be the first one to announce or to make a lot of these announcements or to, um, you know, communicate a lot of these decisions. But in terms of his apology, I think I think in many ways, listen, the problem is it, it didn't actually matter what he said. Um, it doesn't matter how, um, uh, you know, how meaningful or, or how much anyone thinks he, uh, he meant it. Mines are completely made up on it. It, it, it didn't really you know, what mm. happened won't change any minds either way. Mm. Um, I think it was interesting that he had, you know, there was clearly some kind of hecklers yeah. as well, which, you know, was, there's, it kind of shows you like there's obviously just such still such a strong feeling towards him and his government. And, you know, I think probably a lot of that is, yes, the decisions that were made during COVID, but also the, the, the personal actions of the Tories at the time with the parties and with, you know, even just some of the, you know, the things that we'd heard about um, letting it rip through the community and basically, you know, to hell with all the old people and sick people, you know, it, I think it just kind of, yeah, there's just a lot of sort of bad feeling about it and, and you know, unfortunately, Boris Johnson is the sort of symbol of of that anger and frustration. So well, he anticipated that, didn't he, by arriving early? I mean, you get the impression he's never early for anything. You know, he he's running in doing that thing with his hair. You know, at thirty seconds to go. So he they clearly anticipated that, and that was a stage managed thing that he was early, so he didn't have to run a gamut of people shouting at him and holding up placards and pictures of their dead loved ones and so on outside. Mm -hmm. So that was clearly um, going to happen. Yeah. I, th I actually think yesterday was a bit of a damp squib in many ways. Um, mm -hmm. I, I thought he looked quite comfortable up there. Um, 
after a, you know an early start. I think I think today, you know, when we come into party gate and whatnot, it might be, you know, yeah, he certainly wasn't as snappy as he had been when he was um, questioned by the Commons. Um, no. Earlier in the year, was he? I mean, they really needled him, and he really um, got very defensive. So it'll be interesting to see if we get a re repeat of that behaviour today. Mm, yeah, I mean, he has been a bit more, just from what I've seen today, he has been a bit more sort of, you know, less calm and measured. You know, um, he's been a bit more snarky, and I imagine that the front pages of most of today's newspapers might have something to do with it but um okay i think we're gonna have to move on just as i said we've got so much to cover um today that i want to make sure we get through it also the the second thing i wanted to just discuss briefly is um tomorrow or today tonight we have this emergency meeting of the hollywood cabinet to talk about you know the budget and basically what they're gonna do um i'm i'm wondering what you know, do, Anna, maybe you can answer this. Do you think that this is genuinely a, a real sort of crisis that, that we've not seen before? Or do you think there's any sort of political hands at work here in terms of trying to make it look as if it's worse than it potentially is? You may, well, a Douglas might have been a better... Um, person to ask to lead on that after yeah, maybe actually, Doogie, what do you this huge page on on you know a Black Wednesday or whatever you called it um, for the SNP. I mean, there's no doubt they're they're having quite a torrid time at the moment, mm -hmm. and you know they've got to find a billion quid somewhere, and that is not you know money that you find down the back of a sofa. So yeah, I mean they absolutely have to to come up with some kind of credible strategy. Of, of how they're going to to pay the bills. Um, you know, so yes, they are having a, a torrid time. I mean, I don't know if I would go as far as to to um, have a, a two-page doom and gloom um, number on it. But yeah, it, it's not going to be a cheery, it's not going to be a cheery Christmas drinks meeting tonight, is it? You know, they're not <laughs> going to be having mince pies and mulled wine and you know, saying, haven't we had a great year? You know, mm. with Michael Matheson sitting there looking sheepish, you know, it's not going to be good. No. Doogie, what do you think? Do you think that, you know, it is as bad as they're saying or, or do you think these meetings are, you know, there's some sort of... I mean, I, I guess my point is, you know, fair enough to have meetings about a serious financial situation, but it's the fact that they are being so kind of openly publicised as, well, you're having to do this because this evil Westminster government have withheld money from us, etc. You know, I just wonder, like, if that comes into it, if the kind of publicising of the reason behind this, you know, that is that politically motivated? And, and do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I've got to say, yeah, I think I, I think there is an element of that. Uh, I think I, th I think what's happening here is it's a culmination of years of not having a serious government, and suddenly. Uh, an unserious government is having to make very serious decisions and um, you know you look at the people that make those decisions I noticed um, there was an interview Shona Robinson gave a few weeks ago doing the rounds on social media in which she seemed to indicate that she had expected that Westminster would stump up extra money for for pay deals with public sector mm -hmm. workers that the SNP had agreed and of course Humza Yusuf 
um, trumped everyone with his council tax freeze at the SNP conference, which has turned it to be completely uncosted. So I, I, I think in many ways, this is a, um, a culmination of 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 that. I, I think it is a serious situation. I, I don't think the budget is going to make for very happy reading. But I think ultimately, um, if the SNP want to be taken serious as a party, then these are the serious decisions that they've got to made. For, uh, for years, they've made hay with uh, you know free giveaways, um, mm. you know free prescriptions, things like that. But you know when you're on a serious government, you need to make important decisions that aren't going to please anyone. And and, and of course they're going to be making these decisions at a time where they're you know tanking in the polls. So mm. uh, it's a pretty difficult time for them. I understand that they've not ruled out the the possibility of a second meeting next week as well. So right. you know they might not even get to a um a, a, a you know, they might not even thrash it out tonight, as it were. So, yeah, I mean, uh, one thing we are hearing is there's talk of, you know, raising taxes in some way or adding an additional tax band. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure whereabouts that would would fall, but there's only so I think there's only so many ways you can cut the pie if, if the pie is getting smaller. If that's a, yeah. if you understand yeah. what I mean, you know. I mean, I thought this tax band they're talking about. So what is it like seventy? If you earn between seventy-five and like one hundred twenty thousand yeah. pounds a year, I mean, I didn't look up the figures for this, but that doesn't strike me as a massive demographic group that are mm. earning in that that. I mean, that's way above the national average wage. You know, I don't see that as a huge money spinner. Um, mm. I, mean, I don't know if anyone else, if anyone got their calculator out on this, but I don't see that as making much of a dent mm. on, um, you know, the billion quid um, black hole that they've got. I, mm. I, I, I didn't think that was, um, you know, yeah, I could see that as part of a bigger strategy, but I thought, really, that's your solution? I, I, I don't, how many people in Scotland are in that um, pay band? I don't see that as a massive, you know, help. No. I think that's, and I think that's a pitch to the people in the party that maybe backed Humza Yusuf. You know, they want. Oh, to I be get seen. that. You know, it's politically yeah. acceptable. You know, it's much more obviously. It's more politically acceptable to to tax higher earners. Yeah, I mean that's clear. But there's no, you know, yeah, make a political pitch to your supporters, but it's not much good if it doesn't actually solve the problem, is it? You know, that no. it seems a bit. I, I just thought that was a bit of a. Um, I, a bit of a mysterious move, personally. Yeah, I just wonder if that's the sort of, you know, again, that's being put out as as a potential solution. Obviously, as you say, Anna, we haven't got the calculations, we haven't calculated exactly how much that could generate, but by the looks of it, it's not going to generate the billion pounds that's I needed. Don't see that. uh, yeah, so, I mean, of course, you know, it's the kind of thing that would be palatable to the Greens, which obviously is important while the Butte House Agreement's standing, all that kind of thing. You know, mm. it, it makes political sense as far as that goes. Um, it, it just doesn't, you know, it's just once you get your calculator out, that kind of falls to bits, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it, it kind of makes me think, well, what, you know, it'll just be interesting to see basically what, what else they're going to do, because as you say, they can't just do that. But I wonder if that's the sort of being put out as the sort of um, the headline grabber so that then there's less focus when all the other little, um, you know, snippet uh, cuts. Yeah, exactly. Come in um, and they'll say, well, but it's okay because we're actually taxing the rich. 
even more. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no way really around it. Everyone is skint. And you can say it's, you know, 13 years of Westminster Tories or 17 years of SNP, etc. But I think just ultimately everybody's in a pretty dire situation. And a lot of that is probably to do with the pandemic and also Brexit, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so moving on well, to another... Good luck to meeting, yeah. Have a nice time. Yeah. <laughs> Rationing your nat tax. That's what they'll be yeah. doing. Working at their nat tax. <laughs> um, moving on to another thing that that you know, seventeen years or is it seventeen? Yeah, it's seventeen years of SNP government. Seventeen or sixteen, I can't remember. Well, but, it just shows how bad the education system is. If we can't <laughs> how, that's harsh, Doggy. How, yes. how, how I include myself in that, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice segue, though. So obviously, this came up. Um, a lot at the FMQs this afternoon um, and it was obviously quite kind of tense the fact that these PISA scores have come out and for people who are not familiar with them it's basically like a international ranking list of, of how smart kids are in every country. I think they, they basically measure 15, 15 year olds on things like math, science, reading etc and then every country gets a score based on on the assessments. So Scotland's rankings have fallen again. Um, so I think this year is the first time that they've done it since 2018. So since 2018, Scotland's score, I actually wrote this down, so Scotland's score has fallen 18 points in maths, 11 in reading, and seven in science since 2018 and now Scotland is below the average for the the other OECD sort of um, nations for the first time albeit it's, it's very you know it's not a huge below the average but still slightly below the average um do you what do you think about this situation I mean everyone always points to Nicola Sturgeon's infamous you know judge me on my record in education but what what is really going on here why are we seeing this is it is it because of the curriculum is it because there's a lack of teachers is it because uh pupils are not learning as well i don't know like what, what's your theory what's actually behind it well i think the first thing i'd say is it, it it doesn't help that we've got a government that thinks uh, 45 is a bigger number than 55, but I'll I'll move on from that. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've been kind of listening to teachers speak on radio shows and whatnot about it, and they're all very, very critical of the curriculum for excellence. I heard one of them call it the curriculum for excrement, which I think is a, a, a nickname that's been doing the rounds. They seem to feel that it's it's too easy, it rewards... Um, you know, mediocre work and maybe we're not pushing you know we're not pushing the kids hard enough uh, I, I, I think again schools feel they need to stick rigidly to it whereas maybe the SNP government should give them more leeway to try different things in different places and you know, see what see what kind of works with them I think it's a bit of everything I think um you know, COVID, you, you know, uh, whom's the use of, and, and again today, uh, First Minister's questions brought up COVID, 
obviously it's a global pandemic and we've and you know we've fallen down the global table so I, I, I don't think we can really use COVID as an excuse um, you know cuts to teacher numbers class sizes are still too high um, another big thing that's been in the news is the use of smartphones in school that's mm-hmm. that's um, uh, um, you know putting 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 kids off it's distracting kids do you mean like using smartphones not for learning, but yeah, just yeah, ha- yeah. having smartphones in yeah. schools? Yeah, because because of course they do, and, and and part of the issue is is people talk about banning smartphones, but of course they're they're encouraged to use devices to, mm. to look up things. So one way to stop that would be, oh, I don't know, to give you know children a school issued iPad, which of course is another SNP policy that they failed to come through on thus far. So um, I think it's about a combination of everything. Obviously, Scotland has always prided itself in having a really good education system. So to see us fall, you know, not just in the league tables, but behind, you know, the other countries in the UK, certainly behind England, sorry, you know, it's not great. It doesn't look great. And it's another damning, uh, you know, another damning verdict on Nick Sturgeon's time in office. Because, of course, as you say, you know, education was our number one priority. And... Mm. The other thing I'm getting is that this, you know, this had been happening before COVID as well. I, I, I think the dip had started. I had one teacher say, it, 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 you know, it can absolutely be tracked back to the introduction of, of the curriculum for excellence. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, the last thing hard-pressed teachers need and hard-pressed students need is a complete revamp of the curriculum. So I don't mm-hmm. think there's any, you know, I don't think there's any easy answers on it. I'd say, I'd say Jenny Gilruth really got a work cut out. Uh, you know whether she's up to the task. Uh, mm. I guess time will tell. Yeah, Anna, what do you think? Do you think that it's time for, you know, a return to the blackboard and eyes forward, no talking? No, I mean, that, that's never going to happen. I mean, um, so I've two children who have come through the school system. Um, uh, one is now at university, and the the other one is now working. So I have you know hands on experience and and mm. was there as the curriculum for excellence was being introduced. So I have kind of seen it through. And I I mean, I can see that the overarching reasons for it are right in that things are changing so quickly um, within the economy with technology that we do have to equip children to do jobs that we can't currently imagine. I mean, when they started talking about the curriculum for excellence, AI wasn't a thing at all. So Mm -hmm. I, I think the overarching concept has is not without merit, but I have been very unimpressed with how it's been um, implemented. You know, my son has just done, he's just in first year university. So, you know, we've just recently came through the pandemic, did hires and uh, advanced hires last year. And in in some of his subjects, I'm just horrified actually at the way he's been taught uh, to some extent, how spoon fed they are, how little Mm. independent thought at that level, you know, then depends at, advanced higher level I mean that should be basically first year um university level I don't think you should be giving been given essay plans I, I've been very unimpressed um with how he's been taught in fact I wanted to go into school and have a fight with one of his teachers and I had to be prevented from doing so you'll be glad to hear mm. otherwise I would have been in the paper for all the wrong reasons um <laughs> Um, but teachers, I mean, I'm not really being, uh, you know, there's in, obviously there's individual teachers who aren't great, but I'm not really being critical of teachers because they have a horrendous job to do in very difficult circumstances. They're demoralised. 
you know, they they don't feel valued. The curriculum for excellence doesn't give them a lot of independence or wriggle room um, or or um, capacity, you know, to respond to the kids in their class. And I think in general, and one of the, my takeaways of the PISA figures was that with the science and maths, particularly poor results in, in science and maths, that just fills me with terror. Because if you look at all the predictions of where the jobs are, the jobs of the future are going to be in the Scottish economy, you know, most of them require STEM skills, mm-hmm. you know, decarbonize, you know, a full range of them, the whole decarbonization, green transformation of the um, energy sector, biotechnology, even gaming. So that's just three of the sectors that we are told are, you know, strong and flourishing and going to be the Scotland of the future and all that bloody blah. You can't work on any of them if you don't have a good grounding in um, maths and science. Mm. Yet, you know, you can't do higher physics in a lot of secondary schools in Scotland. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm so old, obviously, you know, when I was at school, it was very different. So I, I'm constantly sounding like an ancient person, you know, shaking their fist at the moon when I when people tell me things like, oh, no, you know, if you want to do higher physics, you have to be bussed to another school. Mm. So it, it really doesn't fill you. Um, it really doesn't fill you with faith at all. And it doesn't the, the science and math thing really makes me think that there isn't a joined up thinking between, yes, we have to prepare kids for the jobs of the future. That's the abstract idea. But actually, that means building a really strong science and tech sector. And I just I don't see that in schools. I think it's very hard for mm-hmm. kids to excel in those subjects. Actually, it's not made easy for them to pursue. And if you don't go to one of the few schools that offer these subjects, you mm-hmm. know, you're, you're very um, unlikely to to be able to pursue them without putting in a lot of personal effort and your family helping you out and all the things that are immediate barriers mm. to one from a situation where that, you know, where their family yeah. help them with that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think, you know, I think we've, we've kind of covered that issue pretty well. I think we've actually, you know, it's interesting to hear Anna your experience because obviously as a parent of kids who have kind of just gone through that it's really interesting to hear um, and certainly I, I don't know it'd be interesting to go back into a school now and try and do the exams and things that they they do compared to what what we used to do because I'm pretty sure it would be very different but um, well, I mean my my attempts to help my son um, with his uh, higher politics were very interesting hmm. <laughs> Um, Although, okay. you know, f- finally, finally, uh, he's impressed that I knew things like how the Dehaunt system worked. So, you know, there were some upsides to it. Yeah, so the, the last thing we we're going to come on to talk about is just this week we've seen um, the Scottish Government publish a new uh, kind of policy paper on what social security would look like in an independent Scotland. Um, and we have seen these, there's been a couple of these now. Um, I don't necessarily, well, we can if if you have anything particular to say about the actual policy paper itself, but I think that one of the, the big criticisms of, of all of these things is, you know, civil servants being taken away from other things to work on this, you know, what about things like education, the NHS, you know, the amount of money that's being spent on, on these papers when, um, 
you know, some people see it as a sort of more just using the civil servant service as sort of propaganda tools. Um, Dougie, I don't know what your opinion is on that or just on the paper itself. I mean, I don't know if you've spent much time studying it. Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say is uh, there's been more than a couple of them. There's been there's been quite a few of them now, and 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 and, and yeah, the major issue a lot of our readers have is 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 kind of the money being being spent on them. I mean, this latest one, uh, I, I won't go through it in detail, but I think you know, and I include myself in this, but I, I, I think it's time we started treating these as a joke. They are because that is you know they are a joke. It's not, again, I come back to the SNP not being a serious party. This isn't serious politics. It, it's just nonsense. It's just red meat for independent supporters who might be losing faith in the project and, and, and it's using our money, our taxpayers' money to do that. I mean... But do you really think it is a joke? I mean, yeah, you know, some I mean, people would say that we, we as elected it have voted in a party whose main aim is independence. Therefore, you know, it's right that people should know what Scotland would look like in an independent situation. Um, there is no, you know, the Scottish government doesn't have the power to enact that. Now, it, it isn't just the fact they're doing it, I find it. I mean, their actual content is just, I mean, imagine spending all this money and this is the best you can come up with. Well, mm. The UK government's going to keep paying your benefits for five years. I mean, it, it, it's just... It's just nonsense, and this and this latest one was really I I thought it was really a red like party propaganda because if you were even to indulge Humza Yusuf for a second and say you know there's going to be an independence referendum next year this time next year that's 2025 um, you use the SNP's own own um, timeline of two years to become independent which they had but you know back in 2014. You know, we're talking about 2027 and uh, you've got the government saying, oh, this government will do this in an independent Scotland, this government will do that. I mean, that just sounds like a party political broadcast. Um, It's something that really irks a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to see why. And it's not aimed. It's not aimed at your average voter. It's aimed at um, SNP supporters who might feel, you know, that their momentum is is, um, is slowing down. Mm. Anna, what do you think? Do you think that you know they should be able to to do these yeah, I things? Or? I, I think, I think, you know the the uh, the potential, you know, the other side, the the other side of the the defence argument that you posited there. I do think that's pretty weak. You know, it's not within their power to deliver independence as a government. So really, they've no business getting their civil servants spending a lot of time and energy on this. And even, you know, you, you don't even need your calculator out to pick holes in it, do they? I mean, thinking that scrapping Trident is going to pay for a universal basic income, you know, the cost of scrapping Trident would be immense. You know, would look at the cost of scrapping um, HS2. You know, you, you don't, you can't just get rid of something that's like a major infrastructure, huge mm. um, facility like that with with zero costs is massively expensive it would be mind-blowingly expensive to decommission all of that and that's without taking on into account the economic impact of um you know closing the the base in Helensburg and all the rest of it so i i really thought it was alice in wonderland numbers and mm. yeah, a bit of a, a a stupid you know vanity project i mean the idea that you could 
you would do that in five years is also absolutely laughable. I mean, look at how long it took to put trams into Edinburgh, you know. Mm. Or build some ferries. Well, exactly. So, yeah, it, it's a bit of a, I, actually, I think it's a bit of a tiresome diversion and and a, a bit tone deaf, mm. um, given, especially in the week of these PISA figures, and people are looking at their kids doing their homework, you know, and going, come on, really? Um, yeah. Servants are doing what? Um, yeah, it's not very, it's actually not very, it's not impressive on any level. The document itself, I found very unimpressive. And actually doing it, I, I think, has, has shows um, a deep failure to read the room. Mm. And I think as well, it's hard to see how something like that, which I think has been accepted as not particularly well costed, it, it, there are a lot of holes in there. You know, it's hard to see how something like that may convince voters who are undecided to, to vote for independence. Well, do the opposite because it reminds voters of actually what a hugely complex, a difficult and expensive project independence would be and how interconnected we are with the, you know, the mech the mechanics of the UK state, you know, mm. it was a, it was, a, I mean, a big deal breaker for a lot of people in the independence referendum was pensions. You know, that was the killer issue for a lot of people. Mm. That was, you know, a lot of old people who might have been swithering thought, "What's going to happen to my pension?" And mm. I know that was a scare. That was one of the, you know, scare tactics, if you want to frame it like that, used um, by the. Uh, you know the the case for the union but actually with good point you know what about everybody's benefits if 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 you're living on your benefits or they're a massive part of your income of course you're going to ask want to ask some really hard questions about what's going to happen to them mm -hmm. and if then someone tells you oh within five years we'll have a lovely system set up and it's going to be great and it's going to be this and it's going to be that and then you, you've got experience where you you know you can't get anything to happen and you can't get anyone to answer the phone and you know the system mm. have it doesn't work properly. You're going mm. to go like, really? You know, mm. it does not ring true. It's not convincing. Mm. Well, on that note, I think we will finish up the week by our usual good week, bad week. Dougie, do you want to go first? Yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll be very brief. Um, for bad week, I've picked Scottish pubs. Um, new data this week suggested that pubs in Scotland were closing at twice the rate of uh, that they were in England. Um, they're calling on the the Scottish Beer and Pub Association, the Scottish Licensed Trade Association, are calling on the uh, SNP government to follow the lead of the UK government in terms of rates for relief. And um, I think, you know, for me, part of the issue, pubs, and, you know, pubs aren't just a place where people go to get drunk. You know, they're really important to many, many communities. They're important places for you know tackling loneliness. Uh, and I think I think the Scottish government needs to do more to protect that sector. Uh, in terms of good week, I've went for David Hamilton, who is the Scottish Information Commissioner, uh, mm -hmm. who was vindicated in a court battle yesterday. Another defeat for the SNP government, who wanted to uh, stop the publication of documents relating to the probe into whether Nicola Sturgeon uh, misled Parliament or broke the ministerial code in relation to the Alex Salmond allegations. Um, another another humiliation, really, for the government in a court of law. You know, that's quite a few so far. 
they're probably getting used to it by now, but uh, mm. a good day for David. Anna, what, what have you gone for? I've gone for a good week. Um, Westminster Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick, who has resigned over um, the, frankly, ludicrous um, Rwanda plans. Um, a, a, a really, a plan that the more you look at the small print, the more absolutely unbelievable it becomes. It's one of the most ill-conceived, um, just frankly bonkers pieces of um, legislation that have have you know crossed our paths, and he has had the good sense to to realise that it's unworkable and ridiculous, and has has bowed out. So good for him. Go you, Robert. And um, bad week. I've chosen Hugh Grant, who is um, <laughs> that the cost of living crisis is even affecting film stars because he uh, has told us, made it clear that he did not want to be humiliated by playing an Oompa Loompa in a terrible green wig in the new Willy Wonka film, but uh, has Hunters of Wayne's to feed and mm-hmm. uh, needs the money. So, I mean, that... That's the extent of the cost of living crisis. Hugh's got to wear a purple coat and a, a green wig and um, and be an Oompa Loompa. That's bad. Well, yeah, I am. I'll admit I'm a big Hugh Grant fan, so he could wear... You? The wig is fine. Oh, really? You're loving the wig? Yeah, wow. loving the wig. <laughs> um, Hugh's children, thank you for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to book two tickets to see... I'll go and see it twice, boost up his ratings a bit. You do that, you know, those diptyque candles or whatever Hugh Grant's children get for Christmas, you know, don't <laughs> give themselves away. Exactly. Um, well, on that note, thank you, everyone, for joining us for another week of Planet Hollywood. And, yeah, we'll see you next week. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal.